Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gostowski here, as usual, with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Uh, doing very well. The weather's getting really nice and warm, so it's always great to talk about movies on a, on a sunny day. That's right, especially summer movies. And what a perfect movie to start off with. A movie called Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, a brand new film from a brand new filmmaker, but a person that we all know and love, Questlove, otherwise known as Amir Thompson. He's, of course, the drummer of The Roots, but as I don't know if many of you know this, he's, a, he's like a music geek extraordinaire, a historian, a DJ, uh, just like lives and breathes music from what I can see. I mean, I don't know the man personally, but from what I can see, he knows his stuff. and. Summer of Soul is really an extraordinary film. Uh, it's a documentary on, on the very first level. It's extraordinary because there was this footage of this festival, a music festival that happened over the course of six weeks in the summer of 1969, the same summer as the infamous Woodstock festival that everybody constantly is talking about. There was this festival called the Harlem Cultural Festival that was in Harlem, obviously, and it was in a place called Mount Morris Park, which is now Marcus Garvey Park. And what happened was this music festival happened and it was filmed. What happened afterwards was that the footage got buried in someone's basement because no one was interested. And the reason this documentary is so important and interesting to me is because here is something, it's not just changing musical history, it's changing history, it's changing cultural history, it's, it's a comment on the socio-political times, the climate, the it's such a, a statement and it's such a film that is so relevant today. And Questlove was given access to this footage. And not only did he reconstruct the festival, but he interviewed people who went to the festival. So they're featured throughout the film, their recollections. Um, he speaks to some of the artists. Uh, he uses footage and contextualizes the festival um, he used footage from what was happening in 1969 in New York City, in Harlem. I mean, I am waxing poetic about this film because this film changes everything. We cannot keep talking about Woodstock anymore as some sort of a mu musical touchstone, as some sort of a historical milestone as a musical milestone as a cultural milestone because we now have there's no excuse now to ignore the fact that the harlem cultural festival happened the same summer in fact before woodstock and some of the greatest artists of that time some of the greatest artists ever stevie wonder nina simone sly and the family stone gladys knight and the pips Mahalia Jackson, B.B. King, I mean, really, the, the, when you're watching this film, it just, it's just amazing. Um, and I'll, before, you know, before I stop 
and I can't stop waxing poetic because I just, I am blown away by this film. Um, the thing, like I said, that just, that, that blew me away about the film was not just this, but the way that Questlove used all these different kinds of footages together um, and really made every moment come alive. It's like, this is the inside the mind of this musical geek, this historical geek who knows so much and who takes in all this information in such a way. Um, and this is, is, is like his mind is activated on the screen and we get to partake in that. It's like every moment has been, you know, like I keep using the word activated, but it's like every moment is activated with greater and greater significance. I'm going to take a moment and pause. I know I sound like. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, this, you know, genuine like, love. It blew me away. No, I, I, I can under, I completely I'm understand. I, I'm a music fan and a, you know, a cult, like a musical cultural. It, it's like, yeah, sorry. You, you no. go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I think, you know, from a music lover standpoint, I can see why you have that um, overall enthusiasm for for the film. And I would say even if you're not a big music fan or music geek, this is just a really masterful documentary. Like, as you said, the way how he weaves the concert footage with the history, there's times where you get a full performance of a particular song by a particular band. And then there's times where he will use a song like Uptown, for example, and then splice it with footage of Harlem in that era to set the stage of what the people were going through leading up to this concert. Uh, the, the Woodstock example is one of the things that really stuck out for me about this film in relation to who tells history. And this film is very much about reclaiming history, which yes. is something that, especially in the the year that we're in we're starting to see a lot of that where people are starting to question the history that is being taught and what is being left out because the size of, and scope of this festival it ran for 6 weeks over you know course of the, the week various weekends and the number if i remember correctly was i think 300,000 people over attended 300,000 yeah so it was you know not quite woodstock level but still pretty prominent and no one was interested simply because it was a predominantly black music festival when you look as you mentioned you had gladys knight you had a teenage tv wonder you you had people that we now revere as the greats when it comes to soul r&b but then also what i liked about this movie is it touches on how Black and Hispanic artists were really pushing the boundaries of what was considered particular genres. Like one of my favorite moments is when members of Fifth Dimension were talking about being a pop act and how the white community thought that they were white before they actually saw them just because they were singing pop music. And then also this festival allowed them to perform in front of the black audience and be accepted the way that they wanted because you know, as they said you know there is no color to a sound 
That's right. You know, yeah. Music moves you. But then you also have pop. You have gospel. You have Cuban jazz. music. Jazz. You've got jazz. You, yeah. Everything culminates just to show the the diverse breadth, not only of the population, but the the music that these artists were bringing and how they were creating sounds, bringing different influences, all while you have the backdrop of racism, a war, and you know the moon landing, which again, similar to the Woodstock example, people consider revolutionary, and you know as they show with some of the clips from the stock footage, people being interviewed on the news were saying, oh, the moon landing will bring people together and it will be great for mankind was like, those were all the white voices. When you asked all the black people, they were like, you know, we would actually prefer that money to help for infrastructure, food, schools, you know, more practical uses than going off to the moon, which will only impact a small percentage of of people. So it's it's a sweeping film it covers a lot of heavy themes, but yet it is joyous and jubilant all the way throughout because of the music. And you really get the sense of community. Yes. And also because of the artists and their enthusiasm. I mean, there was also a moment where Gladys Knight, you know, similar to the fifth dimension. I mean, she didn't say that, you know, uh, people thought that they were white Gladys Knight and the pips, but that she really appreciated the fact that she was going to perform for a predominantly black audience and that it was really important to her. I remember her saying it was really important to to her for them to be lifted up, you know, by a black audience, to be celebrated by a black audience. And then, you know, um, the moments with Nina Simone is, is some of the most um, really touching is such a touching part of the film, but so much of it is touching because, you know, the artists or um, people reacting to the artists, talking about how important it was to them. And, you know, especially there was, uh, there was that one attendee and he was talking about how, you know, especially when Gladys Knight and the Pips were on and he was saying, you know, when he and his friends were there and they were kids and they were, you know, they loved the suit and tie guys and the Pips were definitely, you know, the suit and tie guys. And, and then later on, you know, it moves on and when Sly comes on and, and there's this whole intro and this whole context that Sly and the Family Stone appear in, which again, I won't ruin for anybody. And then you get this reaction from this man say, and then Sly showed up and then we were Sly fans, right? And it was just this, this beautiful moment where um, I guess as maybe, you know, for me as a music lover, it was just, you know, that that kind of uh, moment of realization that musical tastes, you know, can be surprising. You can surprise yourself. You know, artists can surprise you as well. So that even in the context of like this one event, it took place over, uh, you know, uh, six weeks, but uh, its impact on the audience, I think that, like those voices and seeing the individual speaking and remembering and reacting to the footage um, and their, you know, and, and the performer's reaction to the footage that was buried, right? That, that kind of reaction uh, augments what we're going through as well. And when we see this, you know, especially, you know, the first time I watched it and then all of a sudden there's Max Roach and Max Roach is like this 
there's like mega famous jazz drummer and there's Max Roach all of a sudden we're like where did Max Roach come from <laughs> you know and it yeah and just like reliving this these moments um with these with these individuals because you know these these are like massive massively famous artists yeah and you also hear from them how they were wowed by some of the artists that they got to see or you know got to to share the stage with like there's there's so much love in this film and it's and it's interesting because it's it's a love of the music it the event itself fostered a love for the community you know they basically was out there to celebrate the community uplift the community and then you had artists that were in, encouraging the audience to love themselves you know, yes. and also to think outside of the box, like Sly and the Family Stone is a perfect example of they were one of the first bands to have like make gender parody and like, you know, equality, a huge part of their thing. And it was just super where it was natural. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, in the band, like, you know, you had two musicians that were women and, and the reaction even of the attendees is like, wait a minute, girls in the band. It's like, they're not backup singers they're like in the band mm -hmm. yeah it, and yeah. To, you know just to go off on a small tangent i recently watched the um framey britney spears documentary and um nowhere near as good as as this film but the one parallel that um i was thinking about when i was watching it was they talked about how when britney first came up she was a female pop star in a in an era where it was all boy bands and how people were, you know, kind of shocked that she, when you think that was in the nineties, right? Mm -hmm, so yeah. if you had people breaking barriers in the sixties and you think that, okay, times are going to change and it just shows how slow things are to evolve because the powers that be wanted a particular way, right? That's, that's why we never heard of this monumental festival until now, which is, it's a shame. You know, and hopefully this this film will open a lot of eyes and not only bring attention to a lot of these wonderful artists who people may have already heard of, some they may not have heard of, but also help people to really recontextualize the the '60s and what was going on and what what people were being told versus what they were uh, what was being left out of, of the history books. Exactly. And, you know, as you pointed out, it was like, you know, people reclaiming history and people now being aware. So this is another brilliant thing about this documentary is that Questlove, very subtly, he presents this information and he makes it, by the way he presents it, he makes it very clear that this is very, very relevant now. But he does not show you anything from now. Mm -hmm. But those conversations, all those, you know, the things that are being, that are happening in the film could be happening now. Like it, it's, it's just so very clear. Like the, the through line is very direct and the whole, the whole act of re, um, bringing the film back, you know, into the, into the present and saying, you know, look, somebody had to put this in his basement, this footage in his basement because no one wanted it, you know? Um, like just the significance, the, the historical significance of that act, you know, of that, of that inaction, actually. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and 
I just love the fact that also that that Questlove relied so much on people. So what I, uh, one thing I really appreciate is that Questlove, beside you know, he's got people reminiscing and talking, but he's also using some of the footage from from that concert footage. Some of the they did spend some time going over the audience, you know. See, you, we see faces. We see people in the crowd. We see groups of people. Um, and Questlove is using that, that aspect of the footage as well, which I really appreciated because it makes, makes it seem like it's, it's all-encompassing. It's not just what's on the stage. It's also, you know, he's taking into account the people that are there watching, you know. Um, and we get to see Harlem in this in 1969, and we get to see the people. And the you know when we were talking about the variety of the music, we get to see all the various kinds of people that you know, young and old, little babies, and you know, older older people. Everybody in between showed up, you know. And even as one attendee was talking about, you know, whole families were there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I could keep talking. <laughs> could keep no, talking about this one. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it is a a great film that uh, really does need to be seen, and it's not only one of the best docs of the year, but I think it's one of the the year's best films. Period. It's just absolutely. It's that good. Definitely, I will definitely agree with you. It's it's one of the best films I've ever seen. I'll even go that far because even when I was watching it, I was thinking when this uh it, it becomes available on physical media it's i'm definitely but because i'm gonna keep watching this mm -hmm. it's that dense and deep and important and and multi-layered and it's just it's an accomplishment it's an amazing accomplishment yeah. so we've been talking about uh summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised um and that is a film by Questlove also known as Amir Thompson, um, his first film. And it's, yep. uh, it's, it's going to be on Hulu and in theaters. Yes, and also on, um, in Canada, Stars, which is part of uh, Disney Plus. So that will be the, the Canadian equivalent. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm going to keep with the, the musical theme and I'm just going to talk briefly about in the Heights, uh, the new film by John M. Chu, and he, I guess his last work was uh, Crazy Rich Asians. And, you know, he's got a musical background in terms of like he's done, I think, what, a couple of the step up films and whatnot. But In the Heights is based off of the hit Broadway musical that was created by Lynn manuel Miranda, who also has a brief cameo in Summer of Soul. So there's another tie-in there and this one basically focuses on a community and particularly a um, bodega store owner in washington heights and he's kind of dreaming of you know selling the store and moving back to i believe it's the dominican or maybe puerto rico and, and just kind of living his life out there he's a young guy and through him you meet various um residents of Washington Heights. And again, it's this community that is vibrant, 
they a lot of people have their own various issues but you know the the familial bonds that they form and the friendships are are what lasts and then there's this massive blackout that kind of changes things for everyone so you know the fans of the musical will obviously know a lot of the songs and you know know the whole through line i was coming in just as a average my first time experience and it was really entertaining it was a, a really well put together film the the musical numbers are are great there's some touching moments that i wasn't expecting in it uh, i would say that there's parts in the in the middle that kind of meander a bit and i don't know if that's just because of how the musical itself is is set up like you know there's a there's a lot of different storylines that you have to follow and i don't think that all of them get resolved by the time you get to the end there was a few characters i was like well what happened to this person or it would have been nice to have known what becomes of that person over there but overall it's 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 well done uh, I, I know there's been a lot of controversy around it because it's a film with predominantly um, Latin American cast, but they didn't have, there isn't, there's no um, Afro Latinas or Latinos in there. You know, you do have a black character as one of the prominent ones, but in terms of like that aspect of the Latin community not being represented, you know, there's, there's been a lot of discussions and I would encourage people to read up on, on that because it's a very interesting and important discussion to have still, that does not take away from this film and what it achieves. And I think it really is a, an entertaining work that on a good summer day, you know, nice summer mm-hmm. night, it's, you'll laugh, you might shed a little tear, but overall you just have a good time and, you know, the music is, is great. So I, I would definitely recommend that one. Okay. So that's got the summer vibe to it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Definitely. So you're going to change gears now, right? Oh, sorry. I, no, I, I'm going to change gears, but I'm going to keep with the summer theme because uh, there is a new animated movie that comes out this week. And so, you know, every summer there's always a slew of animated films to devour. This one is actually set around Christmas time. So if it's a little too hot for you and you're in a place where the theaters <laughs> are open and you want a little to cool down, you could go and see the Boss Baby Family Business. Now, this is the sequel to the Oscar-nominated film The Boss Baby, in which a baby known as Ted is part of this secret agency that are, I guess, run by like Uber Smart Babies, and they try and make sure that the world is safe for infants all over. Well, this sequel... Um, takes place i guess a few years after the original and i i must admit i did not see the original and i have not seen the uh the television series the netflix series that have spawned out of it but my kids have raved about it and they gave me the cole's notes prior to (laughs) watching and really you don't need to see the uh, original to get the gist of it they do a good job of kind of filling in the gaps of what you need to know there's some mechanics to the world that just made no sense to me and i'm pretty sure was probably explained in the the first film but there's a certain level of insanity to this film uh there's like, a lot of humor so good you, insanity is it good insanity it's, it's good insanity like things okay there's a lot of things that happen I mean, that makes no sense but you know what i'm having fun so 
it's you know it's a film that that definitely kids will love and you know it's as an adult it's it's enjoyable it's there's a lot of laughs and the, the premise of this one is that um the boss baby ted and his older and his older brother tim are now adults they've had separate lives tim is the family man with two daughters um ted is now this successful business guy that's estranged from his brother doesn't really make family gatherings and tim's youngest daughter who's a baby herself is now part of the spy agency and her older sister goes to this kind of Montessori type school where education is, is presented in a form of like almost a competition where the, the whole goal is to, to be the best. And they, I guess this baby agency, baby corp discovers that the person who created this school um, who's voiced by Jeff Goldblum for Jeff Goldblum fans out there, he is basically has this diabolical plot that's going to eliminate parents altogether through a phone app. He's going to basically control their minds via phone app. So they need Ted and his brother, Tim to kind of come back and work for them. And through some magic elixir, again, I don't understand the science of this world. They get reverted back to basically their younger selves so that they can infiltrate the school. And it gets a little back to the future ish as Tim is now basically in the same class with his daughter and trying to help her through, you know, being bullied and whatnot. And you've got Ted being the the boss baby again and trying to save the world while still being a baby. Again, don't think too hard about this film. It's fun. Alec Baldwin. Suspension of disbelief, right? This is just like, yeah. Yeah. Just throw it out the window. Do not question too much about it. Um, there's a lot of good jokes in it. There's, you know, solid action sequences. And again, as a for a kids film, it, it really flies by. Like I was surprised. I was laughing a lot more than I was expecting to. Uh, it's it's a silly movie, but it's one of those that if the kids are watching it again or something, I wouldn't roll my eyes. I'd be like, oh, okay, you know, I'd, I I would sit through it again. So that's the Boss Baby family business. It comes out this week, and really, you could do a lot worse for. Kids <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good you know that's it like yeah because the you know kids tendency to watch things over and over again mm-hmm. and um that's that is saying something if you're not going to roll your eyes yeah and i mean the the overall theme is not really about like the technologies um controlling our minds what have you it's really about how as we get older we tend to grow apart and that shouldn't be the case, especially when it comes to family. Yeah. You know, well, and again, it's, message. it's that's always a good message. It's a good message. It's one that as an adult, you're like, oh, that, that, you know what? That's kind of true. There's, you think like there's a lot of times where people you were close with, whether it be family or friends, you know, you don't talk yeah. to them and you go, what happened? It's like, oh yeah, we just kind of grew up. Or, you know, it's a, it is a good message. I can't knock too much. And again, there's enough humor in it that I would, I would recommend. So. Okay, that sounds great. And, you know, we cannot leave without talking about a series that I know you enjoyed. And I finally finished. And that was uh, Lupin, the the Netflix series. So this was, what, part two of the season? Yes. It's finally out. So, you know, if, if you didn't watch the first part of it or you haven't you don't know anything about this show Lupin is based off of the 
popular books, Arsene Lupin, and he's the gentleman thief, goes around stealing things because he's just the master of it. Uh, there's been many interpretations of it. There's a popular uh, Japanese animated version from the 70s called Lupin the Third, And this one, we actually have Omar Sky. Omar Sy playing Lupin. So you have a, a black Lupin, which adds a interesting layer to it. And part of this series follows him as he's, you know, stealing jewels and whatnot, but also he's trying to avenge his father who was wrongfully imprisoned. And the man who set him up is a very powerful businessman. So at the end of the first part of the season, his son had been kidnapped by a man that this businessman had hired. And now Lupin is out for, for a new type of vengeance. Yes. So, it takes on a whole different um, dimension, doesn't it? It in does. The second, it, uh, in the second part, because before, you know, it was, it was painful, you know, his memories of what happened to his father and, and that in the series very skillfully refers back to that in a way that's not overly, you know, um, not overly emotional in that terrible way. It's it's emotional in the, it's just hits the right note of, you know, Oh, you do want, we all want vengeance for what happened to Lupin's father and it's right. You know what he's doing, he's righteous and, and we want everything to work out for him. And, you know, of course the the police are, you know, there's various aspects of things going on and there's, there's, there's various bad guys. We, we start to see, and then this takes on different dimensions in the second part. Things start to, to accelerate. What was happening in the first part accelerates everything. All those those through lines that we that were started in part one just accelerate in part two. Uh, but now it takes on this even even more emotional dimension because it, there's his son as well, uh, who's who's now kidnapped, and you know, and this is a teenage boy. So, so there's that aspect of it. And then the, the intricate, what, what's always fascinating about this series was the intricate ins and outs of, of all the different things he had to do. And, um, you know, the, his best friend helping him and, and it, it just takes on different levels. And I have to say the the very first episode back episode six, you know, cause it's part one to five is part one and then six to 10. It was part part six. Really, I don't know if it was because of the, my particular mood that night or what, but it got me. It got me like worse than anything in parts one to five. It really, really got me. And so there was this more of an urgency for me to finish because as things accelerate in a certain way and things start because he seems to have more control in part one you know, of things, things, you know, you always, I always had more faith in him. And it's not that I lost faith in him in part two. It's just that the bad guys just seem to have more bad power, more, you know, more ways of screwing with him once they have his kid. Um, and so then it just accelerates. So I found myself like really wanting, like I binged the second one second half um, much quicker. I, I was able to keep a cool calm. Like I was be able to do my own Arsene Lupin sort of imitation and be kind of cool, calm and collected. And by 
part two, my emotions took over and I was just like, ah, I have to watch the end of this. I have to see how this resolves itself. And it's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. You know, in terms of a television, like a, like a series, like it's not, it's not television, but I guess it is in a way. Yeah, no, it's, I would say it's a television series. It's, it's just the way how it's constructed and everything. At times it does feel a little cinematic. Yeah. um, Just because of the, some of the elaborate ways that he has to get out of situations. But I agree this one, there's a sense of urgency in the second part, partly because he's, he has to fly by the seat of his pants certain times like you you can actually see him calculating as things are happening in real time how am i going to get out of the situation whereas when it first starts off he usually had three or four backup plans but now yeah, and he was like steps ahead of it or some somehow yeah yeah but now he's got all these variables he's got individuals like there's certain hitmen after him he's got the police that have gotten a lot closer than he anticipated and then again the, the family stuff complicates a lot of things i i there was only, I think, maybe two moments in the season where I thought how he got out of a situation was a little too convenient. But those were minor quibbles because it, it really is a, a well-done series. And one of the things I've always liked about both parts is that it really does kind of play up how his skin color is both a hindrance and at times a benefit. And it's a benefit in the sense that he can get in and out of certain places because no one really cares about him. If he's dressed like the help staff at a hotel or restaurant, they don't care. They naturally assume he should be there. He's all, he seems to draw more attention if he's dressed in a suit because then he seemed out of place. But also from the villain standpoint, they know that they can pull the strings, be it the police or who, whatever, because at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, no one's going to care about this black man. You know, so it's mm-hmm. a really interesting dynamic, the way how race is kind of played throughout his entire life, from when he's a young boy in the flashbacks to now, how he gets treated, who considers him worthy of being in the room or purchasing a certain item. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's a really interesting dynamic that kind of follows him through and even when he's like one of the most wanted men in paris there are times where you're like you would think that they would stop certain people but they don't and then other times you know they they stop you for nothing so it's it's interesting but yeah Mm -hmm. very well done absolutely yeah interesting points you bring up there absolutely so i don't know when they'll i'm hopefully hoping that they'll have a a season two. I know. I can't wait. But, I don't know. I don't know the details, the production details of that one yeah. at all. So I have no idea when to expect that. Um, but I mean, it's a French production and uh, it's just after watching um, the other French production, Call My Agent, which yeah, we can we can talk about that another time uh but after watching call my agent and lupin it's like wow when it comes to um television series i don't know we just have to i think we have to start looking you know to other countries especially and france is really really um excelling at these in terms mm-hmm. of those two programs and yeah and you know well i think people have heard of call my agent because 
they're going to do a remake, a British remake, right? Which mm, I don't know. Don't mess with success. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like it's like when they want to redo another round, right? Yeah. The, Matt, the film with Mads Mikkelsen, the Vinterberg film with Mads Mikkelsen. It's like mm, just leave it alone. Come up with an idea that's similar but different. Okay. Yes. <laughs> do, do like Lupin. Take a if you want to take a, a pre-existing property, find a way to to make it completely fresh and, and new. There you go. That's a perfect way to end this show today. <laughs> Those were the the very eloquent words of Courtney Small, and uh, for his and myself, Barbara Gosowski. Thank you for listening to Frameline. Catch you next time.